Well, Merry Christmas, and we are in week two of our Christmas series called Spread the Cheer. Now, in this series, we are looking at the songs in the Christmas story. And the songs of the Christmas story are not O Holy Night or Silent Night or some other night. It's actually there are songs in the Christmas story sung by the characters in the Christmas story. Uh, last week, we looked at Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, and uh, it's just an amazingly deep, hymn of trust that Mary uh, sings kind of just out of joy for what God has done in her life. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to check that out on our website. You can catch up. It's loamicc.com slash resources. Um, if you are someone who does this regularly, I know a lot of you listen to stuff online a lot. Uh, we have a new sermon player, so kind of watch for that. So it'll be a little different the next time you visit our website. Um, today we're going to be looking at a guy named Zechariah's song. Now, I know you guys are so intimately familiar with Zechariah and all that he did in his life, uh, but probably not, okay? And I, I think this, I want to go here, and I think it's so fascinating, because we look at Mary and Joseph and the angels and the wise men and uh, all that stuff and the shepherds, but we often ignore this other little bit of the story that's woven into the Christmas story um, for a guy named Zechariah and his wife, um, who happened to be the parents of John the Baptizer. You might know him as John the Baptist, but he wasn't Baptist in the sense of the word that we use it today. So Zechariah, his wife's name was Elizabeth, and they were the parents to John the Baptizer, and he was born about six months before Jesus. And so what you end up with is this couple who's going through something very similar to Mary and Joseph at the same time, and their story is just as uh, astounding and just as amazing, and it was something that threw them for just as much of a loop as what Mary and Joseph were going through with their whole story. And and so before we get to the song, I want to read uh, a little bit of, of Zechariah's story and why he was singing the song that he's going to sing. So uh, even though we're going to look at the song, we're going to spend probably more of our time in what happened beforehand. So if you want to grab a Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And this is actually the first bit of the Christmas story if you uh, start in Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 5. There's a bit of an introduction and then um, this story about a guy, Zechariah. He was a priest. Zechariah. We'll be in Luke chapter 1. If you uh, want to use a paper Bible, there should be a hard back black one there uh, in your pew near you. If you want to use your favorite Bible app on your phone or tablet, that is um, great. There's uh, so many good ones out there. Um, we, I put a list of them on our website if you're ever curious of some of the good ones out there, um, but there's a lot of great ones. And You know, you get your oil changed and you got a few minutes to kill, you can read some, some little bit of your Bible. It's right there in your pocket all the time. Because um, I remember in college, you could actually go to the Lincoln Christian College bookstore and buy a pocket-sized Bible. And it always amazed me that they called that pocket size because it was still, you know, like this big and like that thick. And, uh, I, you know, the, the, the smaller you make the dimensions this way, the thicker it got. And I just, like, I could sit on it, you know, and you're always like this, but it feels a little wrong to sit on a Bible, you know, having it in your pocket all the time. Um, so you can actually, do you understand the miracle of actually having the Bible in your pocket all the time? Like, that's just, we live in an unparalleled time in history. So take advantage of that. Um, Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the line of priests uh, in Israel. Um, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So two separate things going on here. She was barren, her childbearing years, and now she was past childbearing years. They were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Maybe. There we go. And when the time came for the burning of incense, uh, or when the time came for the burning, oh gosh, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. All right, so we'll pause right there. What's going on is he's a priest, and um, priests, regardless what you might think, I just never really thought about it, but they weren't, they're not all on duty at one time. Um, they would take shifts. It said he was in the order of Abijah. And so each division of priests would work two times a year for a week at a time. So it was his group's week. And um, as much as this whole thing kind of looks random, and you know we haven't even got to God showing up um, in a minute, the angel Gabriel's going to show up and he's going to speak just like he did to Mary. We haven't got to anything that really seems like God is here, but I want you to understand from the very beginning that God is in this story. A lot of this seems like happenstance or coincidence or one of those it just so happened moments, but from the very beginning, God is lining up Zechariah to have a meeting with an angel. And so what's going on is he's, it's his turn to be there uh, in, in the temple, uh, and then every morning and every evening they would have an incense offering, and they would go into the, the holy place in the temple and burn incense, and there were so many priests at this point in time that they would cast lots to see who would go in. Um, this isn't a great comparison, but think of casting lots like playing Yahtzee, all right, and it's like, okay, if I roll a 10, that means it's Bruce's turn, you know, so you roll the dice and it gets a 10, okay, it's Bruce's turn. We think of that as accident, okay? In fact, in the game of craps, you know, you roll the dice and whatever they come up on, I don't know how to play craps, but I know that there's dice involved, right? But, but we say, if something is kind of left up to chance, we say, well, this is kind of a crap shoot, right? Because you throw the dice and it's all random. But the Israelites, when they would cast lots, they believed that God was even in the, the casting of lots, that it wasn't just some accident of physics, how the lots fell, but it was actually God taking advantage of a moment to reveal his will to them. And so they were doing this to see who God had chosen at this point to go into the temple. And what's interesting is that, um, there were, again, there were so many priests, this might have been the only time in his entire life that the lots fell to him. This might be the only time he ever got to go into the holy place in the temple and burn incense. And uh, one thing that's kind of fascinating, a little side note, is oftentimes when the priests would go into this place, you know, there was fear that they might not be holy enough to enter them if they had some kind of sin they hadn't confessed, and that God would strike them down for going into the holy place or the most holy place. And so I've heard that they would occasionally tie ropes around the priest's waist so that if God struck him dead, they could at least drag him out and not have to smell him in the temple for a while, right? So I've heard that. Um, I couldn't find anything to confirm that, but I've heard it, which is very fascinating. Um, so he goes in, and it's his time to cast lots. And so again, this is all, this isn't chance, this isn't just a roll of the dice necessarily. This is God ordaining a meeting between Zechariah and an angel that we're going to meet in verse 11. It says, and there, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Very common reaction to meeting an angel. I would guess many of us would react the same. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. 
And so I love this phrase, your prayer has been heard. Because I want you to think about this. Remember, there were two things going on. The whole time that she was of childbearing age, she was unable to have a kid. She was barren. And then it says now she's very old. She's beyond the, the, the age of childbearing. And so what probably happened is Zechariah and his wife prayed for a child. They might have prayed for years and years and years to have a kid and nothing. They prayed maybe for decades to have a kid only to never, ever have this child come to them. And so at some point, you know, when you, when you pray something for a long period of time and it just nothing happens, you stop praying because you just assume the answer is no. And once she got to an age where she wasn't going to have kids anymore, um, that's it. I mean, you probably think, okay, there's our answer. There's our no. We prayed. We thought God was saying no. The more years that passed, I'm sure God was saying, we, we kind of got the feeling that this wasn't going to happen, and now we know. God said no. And so here, Gabriel shows up and says, hey, I got good news for you, Zechariah. God heard your prayers, the prayers that you even gave up praying years ago. And I just think that is so amazing that God is listening and God is answering and God is responding to a prayer that maybe hasn't been prayed in a long, long time. And he's saying, hey, you know that prayer that you thought I said no on? I have actually been saying yes the whole time. I'm just working on a little bit different timeline than you are, Zechariah. And I, th I think that's so amazing because I think there's probably many of us in this room who have prayed for a long, long time for things. Things we, we maybe, you pleaded with God for until you didn't know what to pray anymore. You'd prayed it so many times. What words do I have? You've prayed it so many times. You don't even have voice left in your throat. Maybe you've got on your knees and you've cried to God until there was no tears left in your eyes. And you just got nothing. And you think, is God not even listening? Does God not even care? Does God, maybe God's, he's, he's been around a while. Maybe he's losing his hearing and I just need to shout louder because he's not answering me. What is the deal? And you can become so frustrated with God in those moments. And I, I love this little bit of the story when he says, your prayer has heard, has been heard as if Zechariah prayed it that very day. But chances are he probably hadn't prayed that prayer in a number of years. And so let's go on to verse 14 because then Gabriel starts telling him about this son that's going to be born to him. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Well, absolutely. That's kind of a given, right? I mean, I, I know some of you, you've had kids and you've told me horror stories of they never slept, they had colic and all this stuff. But even then you're like, but we wouldn't trade them for anything. And it's like, you might trade them for a nap on your most desperate of days. But, but, you know, but even in those worst moments, they're a joy and they're a delight. And so he says, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And so we start to get a hint that John's not going to be some ordinary baby. That something's different about this baby that God is giving to Zechariah and his wife. Besides the fact that his parents might be in a wheelchair when he's in preschool. Uh, it says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the, uh, uh, to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years, which you get a hint of how smart the guy is here because he calls himself old, but he doesn't call his wife old. I'm old and she's experienced, you know, she's got life experience, you know, we can't just be doing this, he's a smart guy, that Zechariah, 
But one thing that's funny is the words Gabriel was using here would have been something that Zechariah would have heard before. If you go to the book of Malachi, in the, which is the last book in the Old Testament, the very last words were a prophecy concerning one who would come that would prepare the way of the Lord. He would come kind of in the same spirit as Elijah, and he would lay the path for this Messiah that was going to come and save all of Israel. And so as Gabriel's talking, Zechariah would have my, my kid is, is the one. It's the time for the Messiah. We've been waiting for ages for this, and it's, it's, it's going to happen right now. Because after Malachi spoke and wrote those, those uh, prophecies down, there was 400 years of nothing. Generation after generation after generation after generation lived and died hanging on the promises of Malachi with nothing to show for it. And finally, maybe when some in Israel had given up hope, God was going to give a baby, that not just to Zechariah who'd maybe given up hope, but he was giving this baby that was going to start paving the way for Jesus to come into the world. And Zechariah's response is, I think, legitimate, okay? He says, how can I know this to be true? How can I be sure of this? Which is basically saying, all right, angel, I'll believe it when I see it, okay? Because I don't know how many, you know, really experienced women you see giving birth, but it's probably not too many, right? And so he's like, I'll believe this when I see it. Everything about this is, is you know, sounding kind of ridiculous. Maybe I'm hallucinating from whatever incense is being burned. I don't know what's going on, but something crazy is here, and I'll believe it when I see it. And I think I would probably have that response if God popped up and shared with me some ridiculous type of news like this. But apparently, and this is just in case an angel ever shows up on your doorstep, the only response when an angel tells you something like this is to say, yes, sir, okay? Some of you had parents like that. That was the only acceptable response. No matter how much you hated it, no matter how much you didn't believe it, you just said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whatever. That is the only response because Zechariah gets into a wee, a little bit chastised, I feel here. He says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, meaning I'm not a liar, I'm not some charlatan. I'm not some travel-by-night snake oil salesman here to feed you lies. I am an angel of God. And I love how he says this. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I'm not telling you calamity that's coming on you or pain and suffering. I'm giving you the best news that you could ever hope for, and you don't you think I'm lying? Don't you think that I'm not telling you the truth? And don't you think that your God does not have power to do everything that I've said to you? And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true. They will come true at their, what's that last phrase? Appointed time. Not when you prayed for it. Not when you were young and a little more capable of handling rugrat. But at the appointed time, whenever God's timeline falls into place. He goes on. Meanwhile, the people were waiting on Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. They did this offering every night. You go in, you burn incense, and you come out. Um, they, if he had a rope around him, they were maybe giving it a few tugs to try to see if they needed to drag him out. I don't know. Um, but he was in there for a while, so they knew something was up. And then he comes out, says, and he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, to put, uh, to them but remained unable to speak. And then, oh, oh, we'll stop there. We'll pause right there for a minute before we go on to the actual song portion of it. And Zechariah did not speak until the day John was born, which was nine plus months. And I just think, okay, imagine you have the best story to tell. 
It's the, it's the most amazing story you've ever heard. You know it's going to blow away anybody's story that you know. You're going to go to the party, and it's, you know, oh, yeah, well, that's what, that, you think that's cool. Let me tell you about my day at work, honey. You know, think about having the best possible story to tell and not being able to tell it. I mean, think of this gigantic load of news that just got dropped in his lap. Number one, hey, now that you're old and tired, Zechariah, you're going to be a daddy. Here you go. And number two, your son is not just going to be a regular baby. He's going to be a great prophet. Israel hasn't seen a prophet in centuries, and your son is going to be the first one to kind of break the silence. And thirdly, he's going to be the, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. You know the one Israel's been waiting on for a long, 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 long time? The one that God promised to uh, Adam and to Abraham and to David? He's coming. It's finally time. And he knows all of these things, this huge load of news, and he can't tell a soul about it. How frustrating would that be? But yet, I think there's something about a secret that is kept in. I don't know. Some of you are like me, but you get a secret inside of you, and you just like almost can't contain it. It's like there's a physical thing inside of you that is trying to climb out of your mouth, and you just want to tell it. Some of you, you've bought Christmas presents for people already, and you know that you nailed it. You know that it's like the best possible present, and it's under the tree, and it's wrapped, and they're excited about it, but you're more excited than they are because you know how much they're going to love it, and it is a difficult process for you to keep that secret, even though it's only for a short month before Christmas, right? He had nine months before he could verbalize all of this news. Now, I'm sure he communicated it to Elizabeth somehow. Um, I don't know if he would have wrote it down because, again, in that culture, many women were illiterate. So I don't know how he would have communicated that to his wife. But I'm sure, you know, after you're married enough, you can kind of, you can communicate, you know, through glances and winks and stuff like that. So they probably figured it out, okay? But after nine long months, it's like this secret has been festering inside of him, and he just cannot wait to say something about it. So one of the first things out of his mouth when John is born is a song that is over-the-top exciting praise to God. And the first half of the song is about this Messiah that's going to come and all that he's going to do for the world. And the second part of the song is just a proud dad talking about how many great things his son is going to do. So jump down to Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 67. Luke chapter 1 is a huge, huge chapter. So these are, again, mind you, some of the first words he's spoken in nine months. So, talking about John was born, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Um, that sounds like a physical enemy, but most likely that was a reference to uh, demonic forces, Satan trying to derail us and, and plague our lives with sin so that we never find our way to God. Jesus would put an end to all of that to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, so this is where the shift is, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the path of peace. So he sings this awesome song about how great God is and all the great things God is going to do through his son. And this whole song is just a celebration of a long-awaited answer to prayer. Because it's one thing when an angel tells you, hey, your prayers are heard and they're going to be answered. It's another thing to be holding that baby boy that you've prayed for for all of those years and all of those nights begging God for a child. And my guess is that many of us have been in a situation like that where, again, we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and you feel like you're talking to a wall. Like, you just get nothing from God. You don't need, I mean, there comes a point, maybe, maybe you're not like me, but I think I get to a point where I just want God to go, no, because at least then there's a definitive answer, and you go, okay, I can stop wasting my time on this prayer. I can stop having, getting my hopes up and getting my expectations dashed. At least if God would say no, that would be something. But you just feel like you're praying into nothing. And I wonder how many years Zechariah did that and felt the silence of God on the other side. And assuming God had said no, when the entire time God had actually said yes. And, you know, maybe you prayed for someone you love to finally come to Christ. You, someone that you, you would love to spend eternity with, and you've prayed for them, and maybe you've even talked to them a little bit about Jesus. Maybe you've invited them to church, and though you've prayed for them, maybe for years and years and years, to, you look at them, and you feel like they're just no closer to taking that step of faith so that you can hopefully spend eternity with them and, and enjoy uh, the, the salvation that Jesus offers with them. But you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and just nothing. Maybe um, you've prayed for healing, and you know, it could be physical healing from a disease or a sickness. It could be um, just, uh, you know, something that's come along as a side effect of age. And you think, come on, God, spare me from this. I, I, aging is rough. Everybody tells me it's no fun getting old, you know. I've been hobbling around all week. In fact, last night I thought, am I going to have to, like, preach looking like this? Because I, when I, my back hurts, I tend to, I curl. I don't know why. Um, and I'll look in the mirror, and I'll be I'll like, okay, I can stand up straight when I'm brushing my teeth, and, it's, and it looks like this. I mean, I'm serious. So I was really like hobbling last night. And so, uh, you know, aging is no fun, and I know that's not even really that bad yet. I know there's worse to come. I get it. Um, I know, I know. Um, and so, um, so maybe whatever it is, disease, sickness, age, whatever, you've prayed for healing. You've played, prayed for relief, and it just has not come. And you think, come on, God, what is the reason here? What is the point here? Are you please, are you ever, ever, ever going to answer me? Or maybe you've prayed for transformation. Maybe you've got things in your life, habits, hookups, addictions, whatever, that have been with you for years, behaviors that you know aren't great for you. You know, they're not God's best for you. Maybe things that cause you to hurt and self-destruct on some of the best relationships in your life. And you think, I need to put this away. And maybe you thought, hey, becoming a Christian, that'll wipe all that away. Remember all the death of the old life and you get a new life to start afresh? But sometimes your new life feels a lot like your old life and you wonder, why can't I get rid of this? And you've prayed, God, help me get past this temptation. I keep doing these things. I'm drawn to these things that ultimately I don't want to do. Can't Help me get over this. And it just has not happened yet. You still drink too much. You still look at pornography on the computer. You still tell lies that you shouldn't tell, you still gossip about people, you still celebrate the downfall of people that, you know, when they fail, and you shouldn't get excited about that, but you do, because it makes you feel better about yourself, and you know it's evil, all right, but you can't get past it, and so there's, I know there's so many of us that have prayed for things, and prayed for things, and prayed for things, and we've gotten no answer, and I think whatever that prayer is, when you pray, and pray, and pray, and you've got no more prayers left to pray, 
I think this passage shows up, this story shows up, and it speaks so powerfully into those moments when maybe you feel like you got no hope left. Because I don't know, as you pray and you hear nothing, hope starts to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And I think few things are more crushing than when you lose all hope. Few things are more lonely and hope, or hopeless, obviously, but uh, I don't know what the word is, just, just empty and lost when there's nothing to hope for. There's no light at the end of the tunnel that you just kind of want to sit down and just curl up in a ball and weep because there's just nothing left. And I think hopelessness can crush you like that. And I think when we pray and pray and pray and get nothing, that's often one of the first places we go is a, a place of hopelessness. But I think, again, it's into those moments that this passage speaks so powerfully. Now, let me be clear. I do not want to give the impression that if you just pray long enough and hard enough, God will answer all your prayers. That's not what this is saying. That is not at all what this passage is teaching. Sometimes God does just say no. And we don't always know why. But we know that he is a good father to us. And sometimes he says no because he's a good father. And one thing I've learned about being a dad is that no is like the most used word in my vocabulary. My kids ask me for stuff constantly. It starts at like 6.30 in the morning. Hey, Dad, can I watch a show on your iPad? Go to bed. It's 6.30. The sun's not up. It's not even a day yet. I'm not going to talk to you till there's a sun, you know, in the day. And, like, and it just happens. Like it starts, and they ask you for stuff over and over again. And most of the time, I say no. Why? Because I love them. And I think most of the time, God will answer our prayers with a no because he loves us, and there's something better for us. And he says no simply because he's good. And, and so I want you to understand that even those moments when you don't understand why he's saying no, that doesn't mean that he's evil, it doesn't mean that he's cruel. Um, and you know, it doesn't matter how many times I try to rationally explain to my kids that no, you can't start snack time as soon as lunch ends and keep snack time going until dinner starts. I can explain why that's bad, I can explain calories and sugar intake and all that, and they just hear no. And <laughs> James He's always been so dramatic, and, and you say no, and he's always done the, oh. And then he walks away, and he's got like the little, you know, his arms are like gummy worms, and they're just wop. And now he's got to where he just totally melts on the floor and kicks his legs and throws a little fit, and it's lovely, you know, it's wonderful. And so, but, and so you can, again, there's no rationalizing. He's just upset that he didn't get what he asked for. So sometimes that's what I think happens between us and God. God says no. And as limited as we are compared to him, we just can't see it, we can't understand it, and we throw a fit, and we get mad, and we get angry at him, we shake our fist at him when we say why, because we don't get it, but I think we can trust that he's good in those moments, and so I don't, again, I don't want you to understand, I want you to understand that this isn't, the moral of this story is not pray, 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 eventually God will come through. What I want to think, I, want, I think I want to grab out of this is the idea that sometimes God will answer a prayer in a way that we are totally not expecting. And I wonder how many times we have thought that God said no, when in reality he said yes. Because sometimes I know what I want for my future, and I know what I'm praying for, and I want God to answer my prayer exactly the way that I want it. I want him to deliver an answered prayer on a silver platter, and I want it to look exactly the way I want it to look. And I wonder how many times God has answered a prayer, but in a totally different way than our minds were expecting, and we don't even see it, because he's coming through for us in a totally different way. And I think oftentimes God will give us 
things that are way beyond what we could ever hope for or imagine in our prayers. And we don't think he's coming through for us because he does it in a way that we never saw coming. Uh, I remember when I was looking for a job after college, you know, um, let me just say this. When I decided to go into ministry, I never got like some grand call. Some, some guys talk about, you know, a call. I got called into ministry by God, and, and it was this profound moment where they knew, boom, God spoke to me right here, and, and I've been chosen and called into this life. Um, mine was more um, like a, just a long, slow road, and, and I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. I didn't know what it was, but I just felt like every now and then I would take like a baby step and make, okay, I think that was a good step. And then later I'd take another step in the right direction. Okay, I'm going to Lincoln. That's a Bible college. Surely they'll, they'll help me figure this out. And I went to be a counseling major, and I, and I took that step, and I went to my first class, and I got, wrong step. Not going to be a counseling major. And so then um, I ended up on a floor with a lot of preaching majors, and I, I was listening to them, talking to them, and I thought, maybe this is it. And I ended up being a preaching major. And so I kind of slowly wound my way into what I felt was God's calling. But by the time I got to the end of that road, even though I never had this grand opening moment where God said, Anthony, you're going to be a preacher in Loami, Illinois. Ready, go. I never had that. But by the time I got to like, what I was pursuing in my classes, I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. I understand where God's leading me. And so I'm all ready for it. And, and by the time you get done with school, you're so tired of taking tests and you're so ready to get into real life ministry. And so I graduate and I'm like, okay, world, here I am. Okay, God, I'm ready. Let's go. And I start sending out DVDs of a sermon and I send out a big notebook with all kinds of examples of papers I'd written and sermons I'd done, lessons I'd, and I was sending it out to churches, and, and I don't know how many dozens of those I sent out. And I'd send a, bu- a group out, like 10 or 12 at a time, whatever I could afford to mail for, for the day, and I, most of the time, I would hear nothing from a church, just nothing. And it was like, that made me so mad. I was like, just tell me no. Just tell me no. I don't care. I can take it. Tell me no. And so I'd get nothing, and I'd, hear, I'd send all these things in here, you know, a few things back. Sorry, once in a while. You're not it. Okay, fine. And I'd send them out for six months. Every week, I'd send them out six months, dozens and dozens of these discs, and I heard nothing or a lot of no's. And I, I remember I got to this point. I was so frustrated because every church wanted a guy who had 15 years' experience. And I was like, where am I supposed to get 15 years' experience? I need somebody willing to give me that 15 years experience, you know. And I was so mad and I got so frustrated and I just said to my mom and I was like ranting. I was like, if I'm sending out my la- the last batch I got made and if I hear nothing out of that, I'm going to quit for a while. I just, I'm so disheartened. I need a break and I'll just keep working and, you know, try to not make you and dad go in the poorhouse uh, and all that. So I'll, I'll do that. And, and I just quit. I was so disheartened and so dejected and I thought, I don't know where God wants me. I thought this was my path. Maybe I was way, way off. But if this no- nothing happens out of this, I'm going to take like six months off and try to reevaluate maybe where I took a wrong step and maybe I'm on the wrong path entirely. Send out that last batch of stuff. And a few weeks later, lo and behold, I get a phone call from a guy named Bruce Billiou from who, where? You know, where? <laughs> and I don't know how long I called it Laomi, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully I had it corrected by my interview so I didn't look like too big of an idiot. But anyway, um, and, and, you know, I, I look at how all that worked out. And it's like, I look, again, in the rearview mirror, I understand now. In the year, rearview mirror, and I'm way past it. And I understand that now. But in the moment, when I'm praying and praying and I'm sending out stuff, and I'm like, come on, God, let's do this. And I got nothing and nothing. It was so frustrating and so agonizing. And now I look back and it's like, oh, man, 
I love Loami. I love all of you. I love this church. I'm so glad God brought me here. I got so much experience from so many kind people who are kindly correcting me. I've never had anybody just bury me in the ground. I've heard horror stories from other friends who went into ministry and about got just destroyed by the church they went to. And you guys have never done that. And I just am so grateful that God led me here. And it was, again, it was one of those moments where it's like, where in the world are you going to get me, God? Where are you sending me? Where's this ever going to go? And what I love about this story is it shows us at the very least that sometimes God's thinking differently than us, he's working a little differently than us, and he's at least on a different timetable than us. And I just want you guys to be aware of the simple fact that sometimes God will answer your prayer in a way that you're not expecting, and we need to be not only okay with that, but we need to be excited because God will only do what is best for you. And if he doesn't do it the way you wanted it, that means because your idea wasn't very good, okay? And that's okay. And so we have to get to this point where we are okay with when there's silence, because maybe that means wait, or maybe it means no. But, but we've got to be knowing and trusting that God is always doing what is best for us. And so I want you to see that Zechariah's song is full of confidence in God. And, and that this season that we are in, this Christmas season, I think is always a season of hope. Um, we should never stop hoping in what God has for us for the future. I don't care what has come into our lap. I don't care how many disappointments have come our way. There's always hope for a better future. And maybe the answer is a straight up no that you got to whatever it is you want. And you know what? We should be hopeful when we get a no because that means God is saving us from something that maybe we shouldn't have entered into anyway, something that might have been a big old huge mess for us. Or maybe when God answers something that's in a totally different direction than what we thought, we should be grateful for that and hopeful for that because our loving Heavenly Father leads us down the best possible track. And so I just want you to understand, this is a season, this is a song of hope, of excitement, of an answer to a long-awaited prayer. And let me, if, if when Zechariah first got married and was thinking about starting a family, if God had showed up and said, okay, do you want three kids now or one when you're 70? What do you think he's going to say? Three now. Like, I'm, okay, I'm 32. And I, I, I started hurting my back a few years ago. And then I had a second kid. And it hasn't helped my back. Because Jude, I don't even know Jude, he's, he's, he's a maniac. He's crazy, that Jude. I don't know. Um, we call him Jude the Destroyer because that's what he does. And I'll be sitting on the floor on the couch. And his, his number one place to sit is on my back. Like, not just on my shoulders, he pushes me to hunch over, and he gets on his knees at an incline on my back, and then he'll just sit there and start watching TV. Like, I think he's going to climb over me, and I'm like, oh, we're just doing this. Okay, we're just going to hang out here, you know? And so, like, it's hard when you're young. I can't imagine what he was going through when, God, when the angel said, you're going to have a kid. Oh, my goodness, it's going to be so great. But yet, God answered it the best possible way that led to the best possible outcome for his people. And so this is a story of hope. And Zechariah sings a song of praise because he learned an amazing, amazing lesson. Do not give up hope in God because he just might show up in an unexpected way and knock your socks off. <laughs>